Happy Mother's Day, everybody. Yeah, happy Mother's Day. Now, I know earlier in the service, our mothers were recognized. I think they stood, and I was not in the room at the moment, but I think you stood and people applauded, but I know it's already been done, but I want to do it again because I want us to show our love to our mothers today. Can we do that? Come on, we can do that. Amen. There is not, there is not a greater calling in all the world than the calling of a mother. There is not a greater privilege in all the world than the privilege of being a mother. There is not anything more exhausting in all the world than being a mother. Do I hear an amen anywhere? Yeah, there it is, all over the place. Did you know that experts today say that the pressure on moms in this generation and the generation just before this generation is the greatest pressure on motherhood maybe in all of human history? Now, why is that? Well, the reason is because of the acceleration of knowledge that has to be absorbed and then applied in the family and the change in the culture and the electronics in the world. These things have created so much pressure upon mothers in this generation, the generation before, that you are living moms in the most pressured motherhood of all human history. So what do you think about that? You see, a mom has to be a nutritionist, a doctor, a janitor, a chauffeur, a psychologist, a comforter, a teacher, and really the list goes on and on. Did you know that a website called salaries.com, the guys in there, did an evaluation of the price, the salary that moms should make? based upon market analytics, based upon hours of service, based upon skills that are required. Would you like to know what that number is? Anybody want to know? Did you know in the last service I heard some men say, no, I did. (laughs) Don't tell her. Here it is. The salary that the average mother today should make for all of the mothering is $162,000 a year. Mm-hmm. So moms, congratulations for your raise. I do not know where the money is coming from, but you are worth every penny, worth every penny. 
Today there is an enormous, there is an enormous amount of pressure. Because of the responsibilities of motherhood, there is an enormous amount of pressure that some ladies place upon themselves because they want to be the perfect mother. My, um, our, Kathy and my's youngest grandchild, Jack, just turned four years of age the first of April, just a few weeks ago. Just turned four. And a few weeks ago, he was at our home to spend the night. We have him over every so often, and we love it, and, and the other kids. And, and so he was over at our house a few weeks ago, and uh, it was now morning. He spent the night, and Kathy's fixing breakfast, and he's watching a little cartoon for little children on the TV. And all of a sudden, he yelled into the kitchen, Nana, that was enormous. We don't know what he saw on television, but Nana, that was enormous. And we looked at each other, and I said to Kathy, did you just hear what I thought I heard? And she said, I think I heard it, but why don't you ask him again? So I asked Jack, Jack, what did you just say? And he said, puppy, it was enormous. Well, we began to applaud. We began to praise him for saying the word enormous just after his fourth birthday, and we looked at each other and said, our children, our grandchildren are brilliant. They are the most brilliant children in the whole world because we are normal grandparents. And we applauded him and we praised him. And did you know that every time he's been over at our house since, almost the first word that comes out of his mouth is enormous an enormous number of times. And every time we praise him and he looks, as soon as he says enormous, he looks with this big face, this grin, what is coming? Tell me how great I am. And so we know that we are going to be hearing the word enormous an enormous number of times for who knows how many enormous months ahead for us. Because of the responsibility of motherhood, there is an enormous amount of pressure that some ladies put on themselves, some moms put on themselves to be the perfect mother. But I have great news for you. There is no such thing as a perfect mother. But there is such a thing as an effective mother. I saw a front picture of the, uh, new, uh, the Newsweek article in February 2005, and it was a picture of a new mom, a young mom, who had eight hands, eight arms. Don't you wish sometimes you had eight arms? And there on her lap was her little baby. And here's the picture that I saw right here. There it is. Isn't that amazing? And the article that went with the picture was the myth of the perfect mother. And the writer of the article herself a mother, said to all of her readers, I read her article, she said, there is no such thing as a perfect mother. Stop putting this kind of pressure on yourself because no one is perfect. No one can do the perfect mother thing. Stop trying to live up to an impossible image. But there is such a thing as an effective mother. 
And she said what an effective mother does is determine what priorities she will have in her life, and she sets up smart boundaries for her life. She knows when to say no. She knows when to say yes. According to these boundaries, these priorities she has established in her life. And as I was reading the article, I could not help but think of Stephen Covey's book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. It is a great book. If you have never read the book, you ought to read the book. Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And if you've read the book, you know that the third habit that he mentions is the habit of putting first things first. This is actually the key to life, putting first things first. You can actually handle your life if you will put first things first. And what he says is there is a good, better, and best. There are good things that we make best things, but they're not really best things. There are good things that steal our time from the best things. But if we grab hold of the best things and we let good have its rightful place third, but the best things first, it is amazing how much we can accomplish. And in fact, he uses an illustration of rocks. There's huge rocks, big rocks. There are small, tiny rocks. There is just sand. And he uses these three things to illustrate good, better, and best. So take a look at this video. Getting distracted by the unimportant things in life is easy. When you begin your day with trivial activities, they can quickly steal your time from the things that actually matter. Since the time we have for all our activities is limited, we have to choose wisely how to prioritize them. Imagine all the time you have is represented by an empty glass vase. The trivial things that tend to fill up our day is represented by sand. The urgent tasks we all have each day are represented by pebbles. The big rocks are the most important things in our life. If we don't find time for them, there will be serious consequences. Filling our time with trivial things or tasks that are urgent but not necessarily important leaves us with very little time for the big rocks. So some of the most important things in your life are left out. But if you change your way of thinking and make time for the important things first, you will be amazed at what you can accomplish. So using the same jar, same sand, same pebbles, and the same big rocks, when you start with the big rocks first, you have time for all your most important things. Then you can add the urgent things, the pebbles. And if time permits, then you can add the little things as well, the sand. When you rightly prioritize the activities of life, you'll find that everything fits. I love this illustration. And in fact, when I start seeing my schedule messing up on me, I try to go back to this illustration, and I try to go back through the priorities of my life. I am not successful many times, but I try to be, and this illustration actually helps me. I want to think in these kinds of terms. I want us to think in big rocks in our life. Moms, I want us to think in these terms about how to become a more effective Mom, And I want to use an illustration out of the Old Testament about an Old Testament mom named Jochebed. Now, you may not know the name Jochebed. Who in the world is this person? But you do know her son. Her son's name was Moses. 
Moses became one of the greatest people of all time, the most impactful people of all time. And Jochebed was a big part of what happened in Moses' life. So this morning, I want us to take a look at the example of Jochebed and Moses. Now, it actually happens in uh, Exodus chapters 1 and 2. Instead of reading the passages, though, I want to tell you the story. There was a man in the Old Testament named Joseph. He's the Old Testament Joseph. And, and through a series of miracles of absolute interventions by God, unbelievably, he rose to be second in command of all of Egypt. And when this happened, he brought his whole Israelite family to Egypt. Now, 400 years goes by. And that family, it was a big family, but that family over the course of 400 years became 2 million people. How in the world is that even possible? Because in that day, when you are having 10 or 15 children and every family is doing that, over a course of 400 years, you can grow to 2 million people. And this is what happened to the Israelites in Egypt. But after 400 years, there was a Pharaoh that arose who didn't know who Joseph was and didn't care. And when they, he saw these Israelite people, he began to look upon them as a threat. And he had to do something about this threat in Egypt. And so he enslaved all of these Israelite people. And he made a decree. And the decree was that every male baby now and on Every male baby that is born must be thrown alive into the Nile River and be uh, swallowed up by that river, be drowned by that river. Well, there was a woman named Jochebed and her husband. We don't get his name, but we get her name. And this family already had a daughter. Her name was Miriam. And she, Miriam, by the time she was in a, a child, an older child, maybe she's in the fourth or fifth grade, each that time of life, she, there is a now another baby coming. And that baby that is coming is going to be Moses. Now, Miriam, by the way, becomes a superstar in the Old Testament. Jochebed now is pregnant, and she is about to give birth to a child, but she does not know whether it's going to be male or female, and so she hides the birth, and it is a son. And so Jochebed and her husband hide Moses for three months, but that is as long as they could hide him. And he was crying, and people knew he was, must have known that he was there, so they, she knew she had to do something. She took a wicker basket, a long, a large wicker basket, and she waterproofed it, put some cloth inside, and laid her sweet Moses inside that basket. She put a top on it and tied it so that he could be safe, and she put him in the Nile River, and off he began to drift. It broke her heart. You can imagine it broke her heart. But she knew that if he was discovered, and he would be, all of their family would be killed. She put him in the Nile in this basket, and she began to pray, oh, God, please, whatever it takes. I don't even know what it would take. I don't even know how you would do it. But would you intercede in my sweet little Moses' life, and would you spare him? She sent Miriam to sort of hide behind the bushes and keep an eye on the basket as it went down that river. And so Miriam was watching all along. And just as the basket got to a curve in the Nile, 
God must have reached down and touched Moses. I don't know what else. He began to cry at the exact right moment. Because just as he was going around the curve and he began to cry, there was Pharaoh's daughter. And when Pharaoh's daughter heard the cry coming from this basket, she sent her servants to go and fetch the basket and bring it back. And when she opened it up, there was this beautiful little baby. And she fell in love with him immediately. And she decided, I want to keep this baby to be my son. Now, Miriam is watching all of this taking place. And God must have put this thought in her mind, and she rushed over to the princess, and she said to the princess, asked the princess, would you like someone to nurse this baby and raise him the first few years and then bring the baby to you? And the princess said, yes, I would love that. Do you know anybody? And she said, I happen to know the perfect person. She went back, got her mother. Her mother came and met the princess, and the princess said, okay, if you would take care of nurse this baby and about age five, six, bring this baby back to me, and I will pay you to do this. Not $162,000 probably a year, but she paid Jochebed, of all things, to raise her own son for the next five or six years. Jochebed and her husband began to pour all of their life into little Moses, began to teach him all kinds of things, taught him about God, taught him about character and built character into his life, probably taught him that he was a Hebrew, not an Egyptian. And then when he had grown to age five or six, she took little Moses to the palace, handed Moses to the princess, and the princess loved him. And she raised Moses from then on and educated him in the greatest schools you can ever imagine. And Josephus, a Jewish historian in first century, said that the tradition all through the time of the Israelites was that when Moses became in into his 30s, he was named to be the commanding general of the Egyptian army. And it would have been totally reasonable for that would have happened. So there he is. He's a leader. It's amazing. There is Moses. But when he turned 40, something happened to him. You know what I sort of suspect? I sort of suspect the Holy Spirit began to remind him of things that he had learned when he was young. He may not even have known, could remember what, the, what Jochebed looked like or anything about her after all these years or his father but that character came back to him. That knowledge, somehow, some way, God's Spirit began to work in Moses' heart. And when he turned 40, something amazing happened. And listen to the description found in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to his reward. Is this not an amazing passage or what? Here is a guy. He has turned 40. We know that in Scripture. He has turned 40, and suddenly he comes to a remembrance, an understanding, something that he is Hebrew, he is not Egyptian. And he makes a decision, I will be connected to the slave people 
even though I live as a member of the family of royalty. That's amazing. And you remember the story. You remember what happens. God used then Moses to deliver these two million Israelites out of Egyptian bondage and take them out of Egypt. And you remember that the Red Sea crossed and they crossed over on dry ground. And you remember that Moses took all of them to Mount Sinai and there he was given the law of God that was called the law of Moses. And did you know that law of Moses was the foundation of law in the United States at its beginning and was the foundation of law of many countries around the world? And then Moses took these two million people to the very brink of the promised land. No wonder people all over the globe view Moses as one of the greatest human beings who have ever lived. But how in the world did this happen? It was not by accident. God used Jochebed as one of the influences that changed Moses' life. You say, oh, come on. How could he have used Jochebed and her husband when he hadn't even seen them since he was five years old? The reason is this. Experts say to us today that a person's character, for the most part, is developed by age five to seven. Did you know that? That the character of an individual is developed somewhere between ages 5 to 7. It doesn't mean it's fully developed, and it doesn't mean that if a person is one way, they cannot change, because no matter how old we are, we can change with the power of God. He can change even our character with the power of God and our willingness. But the character of Moses had already been developed before Jochebed laid Moses into the arms of the princess. I share this with you because I want you to know that you are making a powerful impact in your children's eternity. You are doing this. You may not know it, it may not seem like it, but you are establishing the character of your children in your home even before they get to age seven. God has an exciting and different plan for every child in your home. And as their mother and their dad, you are a key part of making that plan become a reality. God had a plan for Moses' life. But Moses didn't just turn into Moses only because of Jochebed, only because of his his natural birth father. It wasn't just that influence. There's a limit to how much parents can in the long term. There is a limit to how much parents can in the long term develop their children. God's spirit is at work in your child. Not just you, but it's God's spirit at work in your child. It is the influence of other people that is at work in your child. And it is the decisions that your child makes as well. But what I want to say to you is that the outcome of your child, you are in the midst of developing the outcome of your child. And maybe you don't even know it. 
You see, God gave you to your child, and he gave your children. God gave you your children. God gave you your children, and he gave your children you. It was not by accident that God brought you into this family. So what I'm saying to you today is so don't underestimate the impact of your life into the life of your kids. So there's some big rocks. What are the big rocks that God wants us to place as the major priorities of our life related to our children? The first one is this. Be a mother of faith and courage. Jochebed was willing to defy the Egyptian Pharaoh. She was willing to put her life on the line and actually the life of her family, but for three months, because at the end of three months, there was no way to hide him. And so she did this. She, she formed this basket. She waterproofed it. She put it in the Nile River, and it carried Moses away. You love your children. You love your boys and girls. And yes, I know, there are some times in your life that you want to put your children in a basket and in a river and just, but you don't do that. You do not do that because your children are your pride and joy. With all the tough times, your children are your pride and joy. And here's what I'm going to say to you. Your faith and your obedience to the Lord is taking root in the heart of your kids. You may not be seeing it happen, but it's happening. Your faith, your courage, your obedience is taking root in the heart of your children. I look back as an example of my family growing up, my mom and dad, and the impact, the influence that they made in my life. Now, today's Mother's Day, so I'm going to zero in on my mom. My mom loved the Lord. My mom knew the Word of God. My mom taught the Word for decades to, to others. My mom taught the Word to me. My mom had a great influence spiritually in my life, and no matter what happened in my life, she always brought me back to God, and she always brought me back to the truth of His Word. Now, I know you're going to be stunned by this, but there were times as I was growing up in which I was naughty. Now, I know. You're, I know you're stunned. But there were times in which um, I did not go the right direction. Even as a little child, I remember that my aunt, who was my mother's sister, said to my mother about me when I was a little boy. She said, Gene, I don't know whether Mark is going to end up in prison or a pastor. I don't know which one. And I look back at that, what? Why would she say such a thing? There were times in which I, as I was growing up, even as a, a, an, an older teen, that I walked away from God for a period. I was in the process of trying to find myself. I was in the process of trying to work through things in my life, just like other kids are. But my mother, my mother kept speaking faith 
into my heart day after day after day. I remember all the way back when I was just a little kid, all the way up through those periods of time in which I was not the best of, of guys, and she would speak faith in me, and she would say to me, Mark, I don't know how God is going to use you, but here's what I do know. He is going to make you a leader, and He has big plans for you. And she said that over and over hundreds of times in my life. And there were times in which I would say to her, there is no way that could ever happen. I am no leader. I am never going to do anything great in my life. And, but she kept speaking that she said, you're wrong. God is going to use you in a great way. He's got a great plan for you. And kept speaking that word and speaking that word and speaking that word. And one day, I came to believe it. Maybe God could use me. Maybe God could do something in my life. And it was my mom that did that. There was a family who lived in Puerto Rico, and they moved to New York City. There's a single mom, and, and she had a son named, uh, has a son named Victor. And th this was in the 1960s. And uh, Victor, at the age of 12 in New York City, had already joined a gang and was already hooked on heroin. How does that happen? Age 12. And his life was coming unraveled already in a gang, already hooked on heroin at age 12. And her mother could not control him, but her, his mother could not control him. But his mom could pray, and she prayed every day, every day, every day. And she didn't pray some ordinary prayer, oh God, just get him off of drugs somehow. She prayed this impossible prayer about Victor. She began to pray, oh God, would you save Victor? Would you call him to be a pastor? Would you use him in international missions? How crazy could that kind of prayer be with this 12-year-old boy that's already in a gang and already so messed up? But she prayed day after day after day after day. Year after year, she prayed for Victor, that same prayer. And Victor would come in sometimes in the, maybe the middle of the morning, and he would come in, and he was drunk or on drugs, and, and he would come in, and he would sit down, and his mother would be there, and she would come and sit by him, and she would say to Victor every single time, Victor, God's hand is on your life, and he is going to use you as a pastor, and you are going to make a difference for the kingdom of God internationally, and he laughed at her, and he mocked her, but she did not quit praying. She had no way of knowing that in a matter of a short period of time, God would call a young pastor named David Wilkerson to move into that neighborhood to start a church. And David Wilkerson led Victor Torres to Jesus Christ. And Victor began to feel the call of God to be a pastor. And Victor began to make a difference in international missions, helping people deal with drugs in their life. Is that not amazing? It's absolutely amazing. This is a picture of Victor Torres and his family in the 1980s. No one would have ever thought in the 1960s he'd ever survive to the 1980s much less have a family like this. And this is Victor and his wife today, this next picture. There he is. There they are. It is absolutely amazing. And it happened. Amen. And it happened for only one reason. A mom 
who chose to believe that God is able to do great and mighty things and prayed for him and prayed for him a great, a powerful, impossible prayer. And the Holy Spirit touched his life and the Holy Spirit brought him to Christ and changed his life. It is only by prayer that this happened. And I am saying this to you. Let one of the priorities of your mothering be praying and speaking faith into your children's lives. There's a second big rock, a second priority to all of our moms. Do your best to teach your children about the Lord and His Word. Jochebed only had five or six years. Jochebed and her husband only had five or six years with their son. But God used those five or six years. And it reminds me of the other story in the Old Testament that talks about a similar thing about Daniel. Remember the story of Daniel? Pastor Juan Carlos preached last Sunday, and this is one of his illustrations, and didn't he do a great job at his message last Sunday? Just fantastic. Amen. He mentioned Daniel. And you remember, he mentioned the story about how the the Babylonians came and they uh, conquered Jerusalem, but they didn't destroy Jerusalem. They would destroy Jerusalem the next time they come, but they took with them some young men, some young boys, just 12 years old, just 14 years old, young boys, and they took them back a thousand miles to Babylon and began to train them, brainwash their minds to become leaders one day on the behalf of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. But when Daniel began to realize that they were trying to get him to cave in to his moral convictions, you remember what Daniel does. Daniel chapter 1 verse 8, it says, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself. That word that is translated defiled actually means to put strands together, to create a rope of character to put strands together. Well, I, I had, I've got a long rope, and I just cut a little part of this rope, looks like this, in my garage. And as I, and, and it would be obvious that this rope has got at least three major sections. That's how it becomes a rope, it, that you bind these together, kind of put them together. But when I was cutting it, the most amazing thing happened. Do you see all these little fibers? Do you see these? They're just so tiny. I don't know if the cameras can pick them up. They're so tiny, but they are actually thinner than human hair. But there are hundreds of them, even thousands, maybe a thousand in each one of these sections. And when you bring them all together, it becomes a strong rope. It looks like nothing. These little fibers look like nothing. But when you bring them together, it becomes a strong rope. And here's what I'll say to you. Every time with your children, you tell them something else about God. You, you teach them some issue about integrity and character. 
They may not even act like they're listening. Oh, no, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear another one of these stories. But they might push it away. But you are actually, every single time you are doing this, you are actually creating another fiber. Whether they know it or not, you are creating another fiber of character in their life. Keep on. Keep doing this. Every time you live the life, every time they see you be a person of character, you are creating yet another fiber, another strand of character in their life. It may not seem like it. They may not be acting and looking like it, but you are creating these fibers of character. And I say, keep going on. Do not stop. Whatever you do, even whatever age they are, you keep going on and you keep feeding into their life. You keep teaching it. You keep living the life in front of them. Because what you're doing is that you are creating a rope that cannot be broken. That's what you're doing in the hearts of your children. Parenting is this very thing. Parenting is the idea of creating strands of character that form a rope of resolve to live for Christ no matter the cost. And when you do it, you are setting the foundation of your children's lives. And not just your own children. You're setting the foundations of your grandchildren's lives and your great-grandchildren's lives. And who knows how many generations you're impacting and don't even realize it. You're making a difference, and I'm saying to you, look, your children need to be in church. We need to be a part of helping them grow these fibers, but the greatest way they grow the fibers is by you, discipling your children and living the life in front of your kids. So I say, let one of the priorities of your mothering be to build God's Word into the hearts of your children and to the best of your ability to live out what it means to be a Christ follower in front of your children, whatever you do. Live the life in front of them. Nobody's perfect. You're never going to be perfect, but live the life in front of them and be the real deal. Be the real deal to them. And one day they'll look back, even in the hard times of their life, one day they'll look back and they will see what you did and how you lived. Here's a third thing. Trust the Lord every day for God's intervention in your child's life. When Jochebed handed little Moses into the arms of the princess, she was also handing Moses into the arms of God. And you know as well as me, she every day of her life prayed for Moses. Every day of her life prayed for Moses. I don't know if she ever knew what happened to Moses until she heard about it in heaven. Because she may have been dead by the time Moses came to being who we know as Moses. But she was a part of Moses being Moses. No matter how old your children are, no matter what time of life your children are in, pray every day, pray every day. My kids, my two sons are grown and men, and I pray every day for my two sons. For God to keep building fibers of character into their hearts. Look, 
Speak faith and courage into the hearts of your kids. Do your best to teach them about God and His Word and trust the Lord every day for God's intervention in their lives. We cannot lead our children to God unless we know God ourselves. We cannot teach our children that character of God unless we know Him ourselves. And I hope today that if you do not know Jesus as your Savior, you'll come to know Him and begin a new chapter, a wonderful chapter in your life of knowing the God who made you. Let's bow together for prayer. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. And we come to you today and say, oh God, move in hearts, in families in this church, in moms, in dads in this church, in the hearts of our children in this church. Oh God, raise up all those fibers of character and all, all those encouragements of faith. And raise up parents that pray every day for their kids. And, oh, God, move in hearts today and in the years to come. May, God, you use us to make a forever difference in the hearts of our children. May today, Father, there be many that would come to know Jesus Christ as Savior in their own heart too. And, God, I pray for those who do know you are visiting our church and there's a sense in their heart, this church just feels like home. God, I pray you'd move in their heart to make this church their church home today. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.